0: Austin 316
1: says I just whipped your ass And hey, what's the gonna do? It doesn't matter how you're doing Woo! Wheel of dealing Living be like jet flag! Can you dig it dig it sucker? Would you please Shut the hell up You don't know what hard times are daddy The cream will rise to the top Oh yeah Oh yeah I is a
0: human rubble. Welcome to Keep the Kayfabe. Once again, we're taking it old school, and once again, it's me, the Mecca of Manhood, Steve, along with the, that's not funny, you don't Come need to on. laugh at that.
1: You did not just say that.
0: I did just say you that. You literally I stole just that said that. I stole that from Terry Taylor.
1: I mean, um, this thing, this this show's starting off on the wrong foot, well,
0: I'm just telling you. I'm. I regret to inform you, listening that the other, my partner in crime, as always, when we take it old school, is the one and only Ohio Outlaw, Gary. Um, Sorry.
1: Right. And- i I. This is. You know. This is the anniversary year of the um, the Midnight Rider um, in uh, in the NWA WCW 1988. This is the anniversary year. Right? So, I shall. I shall next time uh, be under mask and uh, and you won't be able to tell because they ain't going to let them catch me. No, they ain't going to let them catch the Midnight Rider next time. So that's perfect. You won't you won't recognize me, Uh, even though I'll sound the same and I'll look the same except for the mask. But you won't be able to recognize me.
0: And it'll be the theater of the mind. You can just imagine the mask.
1: That's right. That's right.
0: Now. uh
1: enough of this foolishness that's enough of foolishness. this foolishness
0: yes gary you know we spent a, a whole show last time talking about one year one mm-hmm. year but one year. that's the beauty of wrestling like we filled the time talking about it it was it was a yeah. pretty foundational year i think was the best way to put it mm-hmm. and that was 1980 and for those of you that uh, listened uh we we covered the big the epic uh Bruno Larry Zabisco, like where Larry, mm-hmm. the mentor, or the mentee turned on his mentor. Yeah. Heinous action. Heinous. Shot heard around the world. The epic title reign of Harley Race with a little hiccup where he lost to giant Baba. Ric Flair winning his first belt. Hogan Andre with their first, uh, you know, dalliance before long before yeah. uh, WrestleMania three. You yeah. um, that was 1980. And we're going to spend the whole time talking about 1981. Which, again, I think that, you know, it's like, you know, like we were saying before we recorded, it's the chess pieces were being put into place. It's like yeah. there's a lot of stuff that kind of would have ripples through wrestling through the 80s. Um, yeah, it was
1: a, it, it was a really interesting year when 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 we were doing our research, because there really wasn't a ton out there about 1981. But the things that were out there that we're going to talk about tonight really were impactful in retrospect right like right. again at the time very innocent many of these things were very innocent but now looking back there were there were some pretty pivotal moments in 1981 that that eventually obviously led to the to what i think we'll know as more of the glory years of the 80s was 82 to 88 that was really you want to talk about? It wasn't even hot. It wasn't even white hot. It was inferno wrestling right. at the time um, between '82 and '88. Uh, but you know, it, it is is interesting year because it, it was it really was '80 '80 had a lot of excitement and a lot of buzz around, as you mentioned. You know, Shea Stadium, the big shows, the things that were going on with Harley Race. But then in 1981, a little bit of um, you know. A little bit of a lull but, but boy some of these things were really huge
0: well let's let's get into 1981 if you mm-hmm. will um the year is 1981 and some, some things happened, such as mtv mm-hmm. launched and
1: <laughs> isn't that crazy to think yeah that?
0: and actually show you know the music was the emphasis There was a lot of music videos mm-hmm. um some movies, you know, my perhaps favorite movie of all time, Raiders of the Lost Ark, came out. Cannonball Damn. Run, classic oh, comedy.
1: Classic, classic.
0: Superman three, kind of more infamous, not a great movie. Uh, chariots of fire. Wait, Oscar is Superman Winter. three,
1: the one with Zod? Or...
0: No, that was two. That was
1: fantastic. Oh, two was. Three really was bad. with Richard Pryor. Oh yeah. They couldn't no. even have the
0: decency. I don't think they even had um. Dean Hackman in his left. Yeah, that was Dean not, good. His, his yeah, that that was not good.
1: Two was good.
0: Yes, two was perhaps my favorite because Zod was amazing. Uh, Shirts of Fire, big Oscar winner. Um, The internet was, as a term, what kind of first bandied about and mentioned.
1: You know when I saw that, I was just floored because I'm like, gosh, you're right. Like, do you remember the old St. Mary's? We, you two of us, we were oh we were God. in the computer room, right, and playing Oregon Trail. And uh, yes. during computer days, it was supposed to be library days. Oh, gosh, what memories oh. that was.
0: Um, Look where we are now.
1: Yeah. Muhammad Ali retired. That yes. was big.
0: Right. I mean, you know, I think for those that really followed boxing, that's probably long overdue because his his last few years were pretty rough. Like Larry Holmes fight and all that. Mm -hmm. But you
1: love you you and your dad loved boxing. I was really into
0: boxing in the 80s and early 90s. And uh, Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, But speaking of boxing, the fictional kind, I think a movie that's well worth noting was filmed in 81. uh, Rocky three. And that kind of brings yeah. us to our first topic, because those of you who remember, first of all, it was a huge hit. Like, I mean, the Rocky movies were all, like, those first mm-hmm. three were all renowned. But this is the one that kind of put it in almost even more of the mainstream.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: there was a particular figure that kicked the movie off in an exhibition match with Rocky. That's and right. that was a, a larger-than-life figure by the name of Thunder Lips. Thunder Lips. And I I still honestly to this day can remember going to the movie theater with my dad and my brothers to see that. And we didn't really know who the guy playing Thunder Lips was. And we were just like, oh, we just thought that scene was so cool. It was like, and and, and he was just a beast. This big muscle-bound dude. And then at the end, you know, when he's done with his fight, he's like super nice and takes a photo with him. Right, right, right. It's a big little scene. But um, those of you that don't know what we're talking about, Thunder Lips was played by none other than Hulk Hogan.
1: Yep. And yeah. so I mean this is perfect segue into what I think is probably one of the mainstay topics of 1981, which is the emergence of Hulkomedia. Um, so you remember we're going to go back in time just for a bit we mentioned it before but hogan andre feuding in 1980 um culminated at shea stadium hogan then also had matches where he he was the one who um, beat gorilla monsoon and gorilla monsoon's retirement match and the thing at this time you have to like suspend a little judgment in realizing that hogan was was a heel like he was managed by johnny valiant Um, Freddie Blassie in the WWF then eventually uh, Johnny Valiant in the AWA so he was he was a mainstay heel Um, and so but here unbelievably fascinating right Steve he and Vince McMahon Sr. get into in essence as history kind of unfolds and again for the listeners like Steve and I are not pretending in any way stretch of imagination to be like Perfect experts about wrestling, but in um, this revisionist history that we're doing, um, as the story is told, the essence of it is Vince McMahon Sr. gets upset at Hulk Hogan because he's going to Hollywood, yeah. which is unbelievable given where the WWF is today.
0: Oh yeah, well they encourage that, and they have their own movie studio. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I found a, a quote from Hulk Hogan in an interview he did a couple years ago. And uh, I'll just read it. But he said the mindset was the mindset back then wasn't like it is now. You know, they they were stone cold. could go and do a TV show, and they were happy with it. Uh, you could do do the expendables, the rock doing what the rock did. But he said back in seventy eight, 79, if you were a wrestler, you didn't do TV. You didn't go to a movie, do a movie. If you were a wrestler, you
1: were a wrestler. Yes, and, I mean, that was it and And Steve, I mean, think about the the shot in the movie, which is that, He's playing this character and then even breaks K-Fabe in the movie slightly, although slightly. He breaks K-Fabe and shows you this other side of a wrestler.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And, you know, in that wasn't, you know, and there's another person that we're going to talk about a little later, Sergeant Slaughter. But also we go back to, you know, 70s, 80s, 60s, 70s, 80s, early 80s wrestling. You went by your name or the pseudo name. Like there wasn't like there were a few character based um, wrestlers, but mainly it was a name and they they literally were wrestlers. And even to think about where Hogan does end up, because he he gets in this argument with Vince McMahon, senior and basically Vince McMahon, senior is like, I'm I'm done with you. So he he's going to push him to first. I think he. Wanted to push him to Mid-Atlantic, but then Hogan found his way to the AWA with Byrne Gagne. And I think this is a really good time for you and I to talk about the AWA because, you know, this this moment in time, 1981 and the emergence of Hulk Hogan, was the best of times and the worst of times for the AWA. Um, Absolutely. You know, Byrne trained was an Olympic athlete himself, a wrestler, and he was a wrestler, wrestler. And he was the quintessential territory, uh, person, just like, uh, Fritz von Erich and others before them where it was his territory. He was doing a lot of the training and he also was the champion. <laughs> and, uh, and one thing that we'll come to know about Vern is there was definitely a difficulty when he walked into a room because he had quite an ego, a, st- oh, a very sure. stubborn ego. Right. Um, and so, yeah. he, you know, who are, you know, you think about, you know, some of the people that Vern trained, right? Like Rick Flair, um, iron, the iron cheek, um, obviously his son, Greg Gagne, Jim Brunzel. Um, he trained, um, you know, Ken Patera, like yeah. these He was it was legit and it was the class Ricky Steamboat, I think, might have been in that school or around that time. But, I mean, these guys tell stories about doing hundreds of wall sits and they have this huge home in Minnesota where they're training in a barn in the middle of the winter below zero. Like you want to talk about definitely a different from where it was to nxt and uh you know and, oh, and the, state today, of the art, and not even you know,
0: close they go you know in their downtime they play video games and stuff. nothing wrong with that but i mean it was just like this was like hard knocks yeah. and it's like you know you hear stories about Stu hart in his dungeon but Vern exactly I mean, this is this, yeah, kind of a dungeon of his own yeah i even remember watching a random episode of uh, awa from you know the 80s on the wwe network and Vern would even have these little moments in between the segments where he would give tips on working oh, yes. out or doing things yes. in your house like with the door the door frame like you know pull-ups and stuff and it was mm-hmm. just like yeah i mean there was like this different mentality of fitness and he was yeah and so many big names passed through the awa i mean that just I mean, oh. it was a big deal it and was a
1: very big deal.
0: It's certainly my earliest memories of wrestling. Cause you know, I'd watch it on Sunday mornings with my mm-hmm. dad. Um, what was, Mo- it, Milwaukee it was, part, was the territory part of the yeah, territory. Exactly.
1: We were, we were in the heart of that territory. Um, you know, we were in the heart of the AWA. So, and you know, again, you have to like, remember back in 1981, like m- m- the emergence of cable was beginning. Right. But it, It was still like, I, gosh, Steve, I don't remember. It had to be in the mid eighties when we all actually got cable television. Right. Yeah, for sure. And so like you only had local channels, so whatever was on the local channel is what you saw. And so our world view of wrestling was the local AWA because that was our territory. For sure. Every once yeah. in a while, right? Um, gosh, I remember Windy City Wrestling. You'd catch on. Oh, my gosh. Um, just bar- barely catch it because um, you could almost get the PB. I think it was a. The- wfld channel 32 you could kind of get it on the antenna from chicago and it depended on the day and so sometimes we could you could get windy city wrestling uh, but more often than not um, the vast majority of wrestling we saw at that point was the awa
0: this is hilarious because if there's people younger than us they're like what are you talking about uh, antennas and like yeah yeah like i mean i feel like i'm suddenly like like talking like some I know person that we had like Six channels, and you had to, you know, your antenna literally like, and we, our house had an antenna that was taller than the house that we had a dial, oh, yeah. Had, yeah, like one of those big antennas, but yeah, yeah, but you're right, yeah, you're lucky if you could catch it, and uh, yeah. no, but AWA man, that was where it was at, and um, mm-hmm. but even so, even though we, you know, we could rattle off some names like you know, um, that passed through the AWA, the road warriors, the fabulous ones, some mm-hmm. things we've mentioned before, but. Yeah, they kind of, you'd think, lucked into this like red hot Hulk Hogan. But I think, as a theme, as we're talking about it, it's like they didn't really, you know, it's part Vern's ego, part everything, but they didn't, I don't even think they knew what they had on their hands with him.
1: Yeah. I mean, so also within 1981, you got to remember Vern Gagne, he himself decides to retire right. from the ring and ironically puts himself over. And so retires as the champion. And then as history uh, and research shows, he literally just handed the title over to Nick Bockwinkle, who he right. was feuding with. Right. You think about just the ego that, that, that played in like today, how many retirement matches, even from the undertaker, Rick, I mean, all these, Yeah. Exactly. all these guys, they, the last, um, AEW show, uh, pay-per-view. Uh, almost every veteran put over a young talent in right. the show. Or and, yeah, I mean,
0: yeah, you're right. Like uh, Kurt Angle. I mean, every, there there were wrestling fans mm-hmm. that were outraged by it, but of course, his last match, he put over Baron Corbin because yeah, that's what you did. And it's like, but Vern, I think yeah, I think it's ego. I think it was this maybe even lack of trust because it seemed like guys like him when they were actually running and founded the company. Their safe zone was to put it back on themselves. Well, yeah, because <laughs> was, that was at firm. the end
1: of the day, right? They were make, they literally owned the territory yeah. and all of the money. I mean, everything was coming through them. So right. when push came to shove, and he felt like he needed to bring a spark in, um, and we'll talk about this probably. Not maybe not 82, but definitely either 83 or 84. About world class, Fritz right. von Eric did the same thing with the von Erics, right? Like, and, and it was an easy, you know, it was an easy whoobie of sorts that they could fall back on. And yeah, and Vern like, Gagne will insert himself in a couple of matches in the next couple of years and over so because he
0: fully go away because he,
1: he never does, he needs
0: to, yeah, he needs to stay yep. there, yeah.
1: But to think that a guy would. The guy that owned the territory would then wrestle in his last retirement match, win with the title, and then just kind of hand it over. It just it was it's a bizarre like,
0: he didn't need to do, I mean, he was a main man, he was he a legend. Was. Like he could have walked away and defeat to Nick Bakwinkle, simple tale as old as time, but now he couldn't even bring himself Couldn't into even match. bring himself yeah.
1: to do it. It's like, come on, man. And so but you know what? Veringa also he also really didn't know what he had with Hogan because he started Hogan as a heel, just like he was, right. he put him with Johnny Valiant. And then all of a sudden, you know, it was, it was as if there was just something about Hogan. Um, and he becomes this massive baby face. And, yeah. um, I think there's a classic, a classic, a classic, uh, run in with Jerry Blackwell, something was going on and he, you know, he caught. Unbelievable fire. And so he and me and Gene Okerlund did series of promos and matches. I mean, boy, you you talk about just energy. Like Hogan completely captivated people at this point in, in this little area of Minneapolis, which basically was from. You know, yeah, it kind of went a little less. But in essence, it was Minnesota. It was Wisconsin. It was Illinois, Iowa, some of the Dakotas, Colorado, I mean, and then a little bit into Canada, right? But yeah, their territory, you know, was in these more vast areas. And, you know, and Hogan, you look back on some of those matches, like I, I, you know, gone back and watched a few of the classic matches, you know, Andre shows up in the territory and he's teaming with Andre, you know, there's, this is one of the first real feuds for Hogan was with the Heenan family. And this is there where he, Bobby Heenan emerges as this character who continues to throw, you know, people in front of Hogan. And it's, you want to talk about a tale as old as time, because that tale will start in 1981. And then eventually you will see it into the later eighties with the Heenan family and Hogan, even into the WWF.
0: Yeah. And then even vestiges of it in WCW, because they all follow kind of, you know, Hogan mean gene Heenan. And it's funny and not to get too off topic, but it's funny when people there's, when Hogan did his big, you know, shot her around the world heel turn in WCW, mm-hmm. he came out looking like he was gonna help the good guys. Yeah. And Heenan, because he was playing this character that started in the early 80s, was like, Yeah, but what side he's on? What is he on? And people at the time were like, Oh, he kind of ruined it. But no, he was playing Heenan,
1: like he was the he thorn- was
0: Hogan was the thorn in his side for going on 20 years at that point.
1: Yes. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I, I would just urge a lot of a lot of younger fans of wrestling to go back and just kind of youtube some of the classic awa stuff from 1980 81 82 you know because you talk about a territory that had caught fire they caught fire it will come to see that there is it is a short-lived however because of vergania and his right. ego and his inability to relinquish control, also his inability to see that Olympic style grapplers were running its their course, yeah, because Hogan now represents the first like true character entertainer that has that was really mainstreamed. And, And I think that was a a battle that Vern Gagne could not overcome was he's like, no, you have to do a thousand wall sits. No, you have to, you know, you have to climb up the stairs and all of this stuff. Right. And that's how you train and you train on a, a, a a dirt mat, you know, all of that stuff. He, he just couldn't imagine wrestling, not being entertainment. Right it's unfortunate because it is, because it, it, you know, obviously we know where history is going to lead itself, but they truly had something special, especially in the late part of 1981. And then, you know, next, the next conversation we have about 1982, boy, we, you know, he is, Hogan is red hot and there's going to be some really cool kind of things that we'll be able to, to be able to talk about in 1982. But But yeah, this the birth of Hulkamania really is is an interesting phenomenon because right, and it was we it started somewhere else. It did. It really did start somewhere else. (laughs) It started by accident, and and truly, uh, it started. And it's so ironic, really, because when you think about it's Vince McMahon Senior getting ticked off at Hulk Hogan for being in an entertainment industry.
0: Yeah, mainstream deal. Yeah,
1: you want to talk about the irony of ironies right and only to know that in a few short years vince mcmahon will literally blow the top off of professional wrestling and it almost completely it into the entertainment industry
0: exactly yeah it is yeah it's just a it's a pivotal transition mm-hmm. and um yeah well and it's funny too i mean i think you, you brought up earlier like um this emergence of character wrestlers that the wwe would just make you know that would be their signature for 15, it 20 years. Uh, uh, Sergeant Slaughter is another name that uh, was making some moves and shakes in the 1980 or 81. year. Yeah.
1: I mean, 1981 was a big year for Sergeant Slaughter. In fact, you know, looking back, and this is again, you know, if people are in the their late 40s like you and I are, and they have these vivid memories of certain wrestlers, um, I, you know, we talked about this a little bit before we got on, but the people that we're going to talk about over the course of the next 15, 20 minutes, like Sergeant Slaughter, Pat Patterson, Andre, killer Khan, um, We're probably going to, you know, we'll, we'll even, you know, throw in Ken Patera to some degree, right? Like these wrestlers um, that we kind of really clued into at the end of their career were the pivotal pieces of wrestling at this time. I mean, think about um, Ric Flair, Roddy Piper, Greg Valentine, those guys, Dusty Rhodes, um, they're coming into their own. They're, they're, they're today's MJFs. They're mm-hmm. today's, uh, Darby Allen's. They're today's, um, you know, Roman Reigns like, they're literally coming into their own, um, Austin theory, right? Like it, it is so interesting to think about. We we witnessed the birth of these, these entities, these characters and these wrestlers. Um, and they're now just coming, just now coming into their prime.
0: Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Sergeant yeah. Slaughter was a fascinating one because again, the WWF really was the began to unveil like this notion of character wrestlers right um everybody typically bob Backlund, uh ken Patera, you know andre even andre the giant Hope, they were going by their names and right. it was really seen still as wrestling and sergeant slaughter was the was one of the very first you know character wrestlers he was this you know this military sergeant. yeah yeah this military um Entity that comes in and is going to try to bring law and order into into wrestling. And so um, but what's really cool about this moment is just thinking about this, the script that the WWF is going to start to play now in terms of these characters and the way they really became known for in a good way and sometimes not so good way, uh, almost forgetting about the legacy of the human, the person. Right. And just moving, moving in this direction of now more of a, like a comic book character as opposed to a real life, um, superhero.
0: Well, and that arc, it just, you know, is interesting because like we said, WWE rides this to like good and bad, like yeah, they, embrace that and then you know they they like even to the point where like some legend like Barry Windham will return to the WWF where he had been before and they mm-hmm. act like he's a new guy. Like they call him the widow maker. Like yeah. stuff like that. They did they started doing it. it's like come on. It's like I know you gotta own the name but but it's also interesting and it's a topic for a different day that they you know like anything they, they made this like they hitched their wagon to it in the 80s and 90s. Mm-hmm. But then Come late nineties, it started getting really corny and ran its course. And then WWCW did the opposite
1: Kevin right. Nash,
0: Scott Hall. They're calling people by their real names and that's, you know, then they took over. So it's just, it's just the ebb and flow of wrestling.
1: Yeah. And, and I'm guessing, right. We're, we're going to see, you know, X number of years from now, another change, right. That's going to sure. bring us almost back. But one of the, one of the, um, one of the key stories of Sergeant Slaughter was with Pat Patterson. So right. we alluded to it a little bit in the 1980 episode, but Pat Patterson is making this transition from in ring and now, and basically he switched spots with Bruno San Martino. So Vince McMahon is um, the play by play and you've got the color guy who is Bruno San Martino, Larry Zabisco, you know, gets all up in uh, Bruno's shorts. And so they feud. And so Bruno leaves, um, his position in terms of announcing and gets into the ring and really starts to battle with um, Larry Zbysko. At this time, Pat Patterson is now, you know, moving away from being a a full-time wrestler and now he takes over as color commentator for WWF shows. And um, what's what's again so interesting is that At that time, I felt Pat Patterson was was older, right? Yeah. Um, And then to think about where he evolved to, you know, over the rest of his career in terms of the sheer genius that he brought the
0: Royal Rumble, all this stuff. Yeah.
1: I mean, it's it's unbelievable to think about. I wonder, you know. Obviously, you go back to 1981. That's when you want to talk about the band got together Vince McMahon, Howard Finkel, Pat Patterson, Gorilla Monsoon will join them soon. They they all started emerging as non-wrestling entities and personalities, but these became stables of staples of the the, the WWF leadership for the next 3 decades.
0: Exactly. I don't think you understand the severity of the situation between Sergeant Slaughter and Pat Patterson. Sergeant Slaughter called him yellow. He did. I mean, you don't do that. You don't do that. Yeah.
1: And and he slapped him. I mean, I can't believe it. He slapped him, and you know, he got him got him angry, and then and then they got into this. uh, You know, you. uh, a tale as old as time the old um well you can't get out of the cobra class.
0: oh i love it yeah there's so many examples of that even going into the 2000s it's like i was thinking about yep. i think hercules did that with his back he right did there. i think chris masters did that with the master lock in the yep. 2000s and it's just, Andre, it's just uh, big john stud yeah, you can't john slam Stunt, me Bear Hug you can't slam yeah me. it's uh um, it, yeah these these, these tropes that they go to it's just yeah. so great i love that they oh, never fully go you can you can't break my move
1: you can't break my move and so he does yeah. and then of course slaughter you know gets upset and um and so i actually not un, unbeknownst to me uh and you know thinking about the podcast that we're doing right now on 1981 but i had actually seen not too long ago that The MSG Madison Square Garden alley fight between um, Sergeant Slaughter and Pat Patterson uh, and didn't realize it at the time I was watching it, just the significance of it. I just was watching it because I was, you know, just kind of going through. But it was a bloody, bloody affair.
0: Oh, my gosh. I can imagine. And I believe
1: I believe at the time Slaughter was. Managed by the Grand Wizard, and the Grand Wizard had to throw in the towel, and then (laughs) you know it led to the to the end of the feud, in essence, and in many ways, it led to the departure of Sergeant Slaughter for Mid Atlantic and the NWA, which again, remember, at the time wasn't that uncommon, right? No, they
0: shifted around. Yeah,
1: yeah, you would run your course in a certain area, and then. As a massive heel, you would, you know, in his case, now he gets shifted to go to another territory and he's, sh- in essence, shared with them so that yeah. they can then use him. And he goes on a really long U.S. championship run.
0: Yeah, beats uh, Ricky Steamboat and Jay G- mm-hmm. Youngblood and others in the tournament to win it right away. And yeah, he holds on to it for, yeah, like you said, like seven, six, seven months.
1: Yeah. And then, and then we'll come to know Sergeant Slaughter then almost overnight becomes of a massive baby face and is a champion for the United States. And um, we'll probably get into that later, but when nationalism takes over in our country and these nationalistic principles come out and he becomes the larger than life GI Joe superhero.
0: Right. Until he turns his back on his country during the Iraq <laughs> war. But that's a topic for that's a, yet a topic another for another as another yes.
1: podcast. That's another era. We, we but why now.
0: don't we, you know, let's speaking of larger than life figures. I mean, if we take it back to the WWF um, Andre the Giant. He uh, it's kind of an off uh, feud. We were talking about this before we record with kind of an interesting character. Killer Khan. Yeah, he's, you know, not probably not a lot of people remember him. Funny enough, he's still alive. I was surprised to see that he's 76. Oh, really? Yeah, oh. this guy from Japan.
1: But, uh, gosh, when, yeah. when I, when I, when it seemed when I wasn't re- that old it, in the 81, he, he, I, he felt like it was, he was, he, It just seemed like he was really old. I yeah. Don't know. Yeah. But no, maybe it was, maybe it was the, uh, champions of the galaxy, uh, Genghis yeah, Khan Genghis character. He looked, yeah.
0: Looked old. Yeah. Oh, but if no, anyone had...
1: knows, if anyone knows that reference, I would, uh, I, I would give him five bucks. If you right. knew the reference we just said, and you, um, and you make a, a mention on any of our social media platforms of where Genghis Khan and killer Khan reference comes from, then you get five bucks for me. I, right. I'll get it over to you. Yes. But yeah, you're right. I mean, so a real life thing happens and Andre has an accident and breaks his ankle like yep. in real life. Um, and I don't want to lose the significance of this because in doing research and in, re- in the realization of this, Andre was literally larger than life. And and we know that he had that debilitating disease that where he just kept growing and everything.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The other thing about Andre, though, was he did not get cheated socially either. And no. we know that he legendary, legendary, con, mass con, consumptions of uh, beverages. Uh, what were those? The Coneheads or something like that. When they, I think it was a Saturday Night Live skit with the Coneheads, where they would pop open all the a six right. pack of beer and yeah, mass quantities of. He
0: definitely beverage. liked his uh, his his daddy sodas, as they.
1: Say. He loved his daddy sodas, and so, I you know, Andre literally is now going to be embroiled in a feud that stems from a real life injury that they play up with, with Killer Khan. It ends up being the feud of the year. In fact, the mat, one of the matches of the year as rated right. by, the, by, the, by the Observer in 1981. But it's also, I think, going to be the beginning of the end for Andre because I think this injury again, if you weren't aware of where Andre, you know, if you only knew Andre at the end of his life, you could not even have imagined that he used to do drop kit kicks. He used to come off the top rope. Like right. he, he would come off the rope. He would, I mean, he was extremely agile and, and, In just doing this research, you you come to realize that his mobility really, really gets impacted um, with this ankle injury. And in essence, Andre is not the same um, after this accident.
0: No, I mean, even like, you know, the legendary, you know, Vince still got a lot of mileage out of him because Mm -hmm. WrestleMania three main event is probably one of the biggest events ever in wrestling. But when you really sit and think about it, Hogan or Andre was not in good shape for that man he was he not was, and and he still went a few years after that and it was just it was sad I mean I think it's yeah you said it's the injuries it's the simple fact that you know he died in his 40s and that was longer mm-hmm. than he expected to live right and so uh it was a rough life for him
1: um, it was and it's and it's a bit sad because just a year earlier in 1980 he is literally in a red-hot feud with Hulk Hogan and he right. is touring the country and he is you know you I, I happen to watch that match, and you see how, how agile, almost, Andre was in 1980. And then you get to light, later 81 and start of 82, and you just start to see him it just slow down. Yeah. And and then it just gets kind of sad from there because, right. um, like you mentioned, WrestleMania 3, which uh, probably around what WrestleMania 3 would have been... I don't know. I mean, was it eighty five?
0: Eighty
1: five. I think WrestleMania one was it 83, eighty three, eighty forty five, something like that.
0: So eighty seven actually was. Oh, 87. So we're, okay, we're, yeah, talking right. in, we're, we're talking about eighty one. The slowdown begins, and six yes. years later. So six makes, years
1: later, he makes
0: mega money with Hogan.
1: He does, but but I think that he his quality of life starts to deteriorate, right. and. And many people point to this incident where he broke his ankle and then started putting on weight. And then that weight was starting to impact his back, impacting his knees. And it just, you know, it was hard. You know, you feel for the you feel for it because you just look back and you want to talk about a character that and wrestler that just to this day, people, it's hard to not know Andre the Giant.
0: Oh, I know. Yeah, he is. Yeah. Just a household name. Yeah.
1: I do think I do think, Steve, is important as we kind of conclude 1981 for the WWF. It's important to kind of talk a little bit about Kempitara. Yeah, you're talking about another character. Uh, you, you and I would remember growing up as kids. We would it is a classic moment in the later 80s. Or was yes. it night? No, he, it
0: was later '80s because it was after all his. Like we'll talk about in a bit, but like you know, he had some like legal trouble, or you know, he went to jail and stuff. Mm-hmm. But then he attempted a comeback after that. And that's what yes. you're referencing.
1: And the comeback is face. he's in he's in the ring and 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 I think Heenan is basically kind of turned Heenan. He was with Heenan, yeah, and then Heenan turns on him in essence, and uh, and the classic line, Steve.
0: Yeah, so there was, was like, yeah, you yeah. Know, I paid my debts to society. I paid my debt like, to society, and then he was like, not one phone call, not one, not letter, one letter, not one letter, not one visit. You completely abandoned me, yeah. Bobby. And, yeah, uh,
1: <laughs> great great promo yeah. moment very yeah I don't know why for both of us it struck us you know like we would repeat that I don't I paid my debt I mean I can't pay my you. debts to society yeah, yeah I can't even tell me. you how many times yeah. you and I but, would joke about that
0: but I don't know. you know there are guys that had legal troubles and hell in, in, in jail and in, in issues but mm-hmm. it was interesting at that time that they kind of used it as a storyline. like they acknowledged yeah. on TV that a baby face went to prison and learned from it. so it was kind of I don't know that was notable.
1: Yeah. Well, and again, you know, thinking back now, you know, Kempatera was trained by Vern Gagne. He was an Olympic athlete, which is, you know, again, uh, true to form for Vern Gagne. He would, Brad Regan's, you know, Kempatera himself, they were all Olympic athletes that he would then train into these professional wrestlers. Um, but what's fascinating is just thinking about how over he was at one point in the late 70s and into 80 81 in 81 he 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 begins he he gets upset and and he's known as a hothead right. and he basically gets upset with Vince senior and and he had had a long hmm intercontinental championship run he was also um champion in st louis i mean yeah
0: it's funny i mean again things unheard of nowadays he was the intercontinental champion in wwf but he was also the nwa missouri heavyweight champion mm-hmm. at the same time
1: same yeah. time and and it just and and i think what people need to realize also is the 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 weight of the intercontinental title so much greater in the 70s and 80s than it is today you know the current ic champion it's just kind of like a i don't know it's kind of a trophy it's a prop and but back then it was the second champion right it was literally oh
0: that was where the next level hulk you know macho man mr perfect Mm -hmm. that was like your your wrestler that was like right on the cusp of like the next level was like your inner kind of ricky steamboat you name it
1: yeah which also equivalent was the U.S. Championship in the right. NWA. And, yeah, a lot
0: of prestigious you know, people held that. Ton tight. of
1: prestige with that title, and and I, it and it's it's just kind of a sad indictment on where we've gone with some of those titles that they oh yeah they just become kind of more of a prop. But I think Gunther, to some degree, is kind of bringing back some of that. Um, I hope
0: so because well, I mean yeah. he's he's worth he's amazing. So I, I hope yeah. they're
1: doing that. Yeah. But I mean, to the same token, you know, um, but. Kempetera really takes a downturn here. And oh, yeah. he was, he was making really good money, probably really working a ton of areas, territories. He was really, really a strong and over uh, wrestler. And, you know, he makes this turn. He kind of leaves the WWF in, in 1981, eventually gets back to the AWA. And then we'll come to see that, um, a. a ironically in our home state of Wisconsin
0: right um
1: i believe it was in waukesha it was in waukesha, it was in in waukesha. april
0: of 1984 is what you're
1: referencing yep. he and mr Saito um get into a scuffle after hours with uh with the mcdonalds staff because they wouldn't serve them and they were hungry
0: yep and they throw a rock through a window and then they mm-hmm. get into an altercation with i believe a female police officer yep and um
1: yeah and yeah. then Two and then so he gets arrested. Yeah. And then he kind of people start to like back off him and then in 1985 he actually gets sentenced to jail. Yeah. So And that that was a big deal. I mean cuz we were in we were in the area, right? We were living yeah. in Milwaukee and that was like a big thing. It was like what's going on? And you know, it it also was interesting um because the two now. What was interesting about this arrest was he and Saito. I think were, were heels at the time. Yes. But it's not long. It's not lo- not long after this arrest that another arrest occurs between the Iron Sheik and hacksaw Jim Duggan from Maryland. And marijuana that one use.
0: is much more controversial. Much more controversial. It's a baby face and a heel together.
1: Yes. And so, again, you know, I think you have to like remember back then the the veil of K Fabe was was still very covered and uh, right and and so yes that was a very big deal. And and I remember I remember reading it in the in the newspaper about Iron Sheik and Duggan getting arrested for and, and
0: they fired him, I think, because I uh, think... you know they brought him back, but they fired him because mm-hmm. The kayfabe thing—it was just like, yeah, you can't you know? This is the two people that are supposed to be mortal enemies, and they're carousing out together after, <laughs> after, yeah.
1: Oh, it's 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 a, a mind-boggling almost to think it's about funny, today. Yeah. So yeah, well, you love the NWA, so like yeah, what's what's going on in there? Well,
0: now? you know, again, kinda... it's sort of like the era. We 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 keep alluding to the chess pieces, things changing around, but um. This you know, this year, yeah, there's lots of title changes, but this is when um Rick Flair ascends to the next level, if you will, mm-hmm. and uh, starts you know, starts getting those championships, and you know he would be the dominant force there for the next decade plus. so um, yeah, I mean, everybody knows who Rick Flair is, and they know the stranglehold he had on the belt and all that. This is sort of the where he takes that to the next level
1: mm-hmm. and is it's. it's... It's weird to to do research on 1981 and then realize where he will go over the next decade, right? I mean, right. He will literally dominate, and and he was he was quoted even then. He was quoted and said Flair himself said, "quote I'm not even sure I was ready. I still felt so green as a champion in 1981, but I grew so much, and I think that that's really." An interesting reflection for Flair, um, because he was now the new traveling champion, right? And you talked about this in the nineteen eighty episode, but that schedule it was grueling. Like, oh, absolutely, unbelievably grueling. Like they were literally on on the road. And then well, Flair, we talked about that
0: last week like like mm-hmm. uh, our last time we recorded um Harley Race defending the title upwards of 19 times in a month. Yeah.
1: And then and then Flair took took this all to the another level because oh, he sure. started a tradition of our broadways and um and that that was crazy. I mean you you want to talk about just it had to be unbelievably exhausting and I can't you know, even imagine can't even imagine and it you know and we can say whatever we want about flair's lifestyle and you know the things that he did but you know it's really hard to not look back on 1981 and realize the gift that he brought the the wrestling fan
0: absolutely and another notable thing that we talked about or we noticed too is that um roddy piper yeah. comes a heel announcer which to those of you listening that are like more familiar with even the last what 30 years um 20 years um of course there's a heel announcer i mean you know like you know now it's a little bit of a tweener role but for the longest time you had your baby face and your heel you know jerry lawler jesse ventura you name it but piper that was not a thing then no. and He, you know, he, I mean, we all know Roddy Piper, just a natural on the microphone and just Mm -hmm. one of the most charismatic people that ever graced wrestling. But yeah, he, uh, he was a heel announcer.
1: Yeah. And, and, and it all stemmed from uh, a bit of a, a play. It was, I think it was at the Omni not hundred percent, but I know that it was an interview between Bob and Brad Armstrong. And in essence, the way the interview was going is, you know, they, they, they were, kind of basking in the fact that they had, uh, you know, earned a lot of money and they were these champions and they, you know, and, and Brad Armstrong was in essence kind of like, he wasn't bragging, but he's just like, yeah. And I took my money and I, you know, bought a new car. And, and of course in all his wit, which Piper was amazing, amazingly witty, amazing. Yeah.
0: Just hard to, I mean, at least for me, I know I kind of liked heels. It's just hard, impossible to not like,
1: it, yeah impossible like his work in 81 82 83 i mean his work is only going to get better from here right but he then turns to bob armstrong and is is basically like so what kind of parent are you that would let their kid blow their money on a new car and and, and it just was something that <laughs> yeah it was subtle it was a dig and people were like what's this right because you know the the modern wrestling fan doesn't know wrestling without the classic playoff of each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and and for most of our childhood growing up, eventually we, you know, Jesse Ventura plays this role and begins to play this role then uh, in the WWF later. But this is the, the emergence of the first kind of anti-hero on the mic and it it becomes a shtick that that sticks absolutely it it is interesting we'll we'll talk probably later on on the 1982 episode but there is a a a classic encounter um with gordon soli don morocco and roddy piper where he he in essence turns baby face at this point um but he is just at this stage very much a heel and uh, I watch I go I go back and I like to watch old uh, mid-Atlantic yeah. and he's he's just dastardly like the things that he's doing interfering and he kind of plays this quasi wrestler manager kind of like figure then announcer. So he he really is starting to come into his own and um and good for the N.W.A. And for the for Mid-Atlantic for thinking a little bit more progressively about how to use a character.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Well, well, you know, getting to the end. Yeah. And, you know, we like to point this out, too, but uh, we like to talk about some of the names that those of you that watch wrestling today might have heard of that were born this year, born Mm -hmm. in 1981 and to quote uh, Gorilla Monsoon reads like the who's who um Daniel Bryan Brian Danielson you
1: yeah.
0: prominent as you know every week on AEW yeah. Finn Balor yeah. just part of WrestleMania
1: which if bro- I, yeah. if we could just digress for 30 seconds his yeah. re- his now more recent work uh, you know we're not always sure when this episode's going to drop but um his recent heel turn just flawless. Well, Flaw- he is really
0: L-less. like pro- I mean, he really has flawless. to go down as one of the greatest wrestlers of all time. And he is one of those guys that could just effortlessly go between heel and yes. face and make both work. He is a pro at what he does.
1: Rick Flair will often talk about on his um on his podcast, you know, when asked who the greatest wrestlers are, he always points to two people, um Shawn Michaels and then the other is Ricky Steamboat. And the reason yeah. he says that Shawn Michaels better than Ricky only uh, solely based on the fact that Ricky could never have been a heel. Right. And he,
0: he, not that he was one dimensional that marginalizes an all time great, but he really, he, he couldn't, yeah, he couldn't. He was, he, in one he lane. Just was,
1: he was only in one lane and, it, yeah. and so he, he only knew how to work the, the, the play, the card of the victim of the match and just kind of have to, you know, have to work to overcome right. the mountains. Right. But, but, but Sean, but, yeah. Shawn Michaels was great, but I'm, I'm telling you, Daniel Bryan's or Brian Danielson, unbelievable. Like his unbelievable professional ability to literally overnight switch to a heel and, and be so nasty. (laughs) So, I mean, almost comical, but so nasty. Right. It It just works for It it does. Cause you've got like MJF now who's got the shtick of being a bad guy. I can't even imagine MJF becoming a good guy. So he's going to be limited in his career right. to some degree, right? Like I can't imagine because part of it too is the blurred line today. Not, not like in 80 or 81, there was very definitive black and white heel and babyface. The modern wrestling, there's the tweener and MJF is always going to vacillate in there a little bit. Right. But he's, an, I just can't ever imagine him being a baby face. No.
0: Yeah. So Daniel Bryan, Finn Balor, um, mm-hmm. two gentlemen that are not related, but Kofi Kingston, <laughs> yeah. and, Ed, and Eddie yeah, Kingston. I didn't think
1: about that when we, yeah. when we put that together, but yeah, Kofi
0: Kingston, right. Eddie Kingston, both, you know, like, uh, obviously Ke- oh, Kofi Kingston, they, they finally gave his due a couple years ago mm-hmm. and he got a, he got his WrestleMania moment world championship. Yeah. Eddie Kingston toiled, toiled forever in the, um, in the indie scene and finally found his home in AEW where he is a, he's a beloved wrestler and he's yeah. a locker room, um,
1: Leader too. Yeah. Well, Finn Balor. I mean, you think about his oh, match with it, with Edge at WrestleMania. Like, I mean, you I, you don't realize how old he is because you you don't really think about that. He he's in phenomenal shape. Yeah. He and he's clearly he has been. clearly you know. Nearing, he's you know I don't necessarily wouldn't say he's at the top of his career, but he's pretty high up there and in, in a pretty decent storyline. Right, and then just gets gets fourteen staples or whatever in his head. Oh my gosh! But I mean, look, like,
0: that, look that photo up, folks, if you yeah. want to see something disgusting.
1: Yeah, it was crazy, but but yeah, but yeah, I mean, and then who debuts this year? This is just another one where wow. I just am like, unbelievable. It's King Kong Bundy. That's right. He yeah, does you know, he makes his first wrestling matches in 1981. And it's just so interesting to see. Um we'll have to probably find a way in either 82 or 83 to kind of highlight Bundy a little bit, but Right. he was a he was a great heel.
0: Great. Oh, absolutely. Heel. He was he proved to be one of the more memorable challenges thrown by Bobby Heenan as you mentioned before at Hulk Hogan and, mm-hmm. and he would come back years later. And I think he was one of the Undertaker's, uh, uh, opponents at WrestleMania on his, you know, yeah, his long winning that's right. streak. So he, the
1: big, the yeah. big blue, the big blue cage. Yeah. So WrestleMania two,
0: he's no longer with us, but King Kong Bundy made a, he made an impact.
1: Well, I think we did a pretty good job on this, uh, 1981, not, to, you know, again, I, you know steve i i look back and i think like ah oh, there wasn't much that went on you know when i was doing the research but then hmm. boy not only did were we able to did we cover a lot of ground but john J- there were some really pivotal things and and you know it's hard to deny you know that the the an innocent movie like rocky three would be the the catalyst. thing that yeah. catalog is a catalyst for the future of what we'll know as today's wrestling because right Hogan mainstreamed it in a way that no one else had ever. And, and, you know, unfortunately in 1981, fortunately or unfortunately, you know, he's with Vern Gagne. And one of the things that we'll talk about, Hogan was never, ever AWA world champion.
0: No they teased it, but then they just teased it shit. They, uh, sorry, pardon my language. They, you know, <laughs> he beat, he beat Nick Bockwinkle, but then they reversed it. I think twice. dusty finish dusty finish. And you know, like, yeah, the second time he beat him, they took it away because he threw him over the top rope, which for yep. fans nowadays, there was a stretch of time in wrestling where throwing mm-hmm. somebody over the top rope was an instant disqualification.
1: So, yes. um, yeah,
0: but they they kind of jerked him around, and then again, it's that that's that not seeing what they had. They should have just strapped a rocket on that guy, but they
1: didn't. They should have. And and to Ganya's demise, in essence, he really a lot of ways alien alienated the fans by never putting a strap on him, and then eventually Hogan. You know, other people that w- another person will come to see. The worth that Hogan could provide, and um, and then the rest will be history. So,
0: oh my gosh, uh, yeah.
1: yeah. So, yeah, we conclude eighty one, and let's just just a couple things about eighty. So, at the end, at the start of nineteen eighty two, um, to foreshadow a major player in pro wrestling uh, behind the scenes in the NWA, uh, Sam Mushnick is. Uh, one of the calming, more mature, professional voices of reason out of St. Louis is retires and, in leaves the NWA leadership. And again, a blip on a radar screen in 1982 at the start, I mean, literally in January of 82, this is what's going to happen. Um, but it will then be a domino effect because there will not be that same voice of reason to replace him and, Then when Vince Jr. starts to make his play, it just starts to create this chaos. And I I think Vince Jr. benefits in a few years from the lack of these type of iconic promoters. And Sam Mushnick was one of them.
0: Yep. And uh, yeah, I mean, you said it's like the NWA loses this key figure that is not easily replaced. Um, And then other things, there's, you know, there's no territories in the California, like LA, right. San Francisco, Phoenix, which uh, you is you know,
1: the, yeah, unbelievably mind blowing. Like right. there's only wrestling, so at this point in the uh, big time wrestling leaves is gone from San Francisco. So the only wrestling on the West coast territory was, was Portland. So you think about all of that area, there's not, there's literally, I mean, the AWA, I think was one of the first ones to kind of venture out to San Francisco. Um, there's a classic, uh, there's a classic when Kurt Henning beat Nick, Wapakwink at at the cow palace, a uh, moment that will happen soon. But, but yeah, from, from the, from Dallas or from Texas, the world class in the Bonerics, up to Memphis, uh, then west, there's there's no territory, like nothing. right And I, I think I think you and I both know and will be able to talk about just how eventually the emergence of cable TV Fills and the ex- holes. explosion starts to fill the holes, and that that area becomes ripe for the picking,
0: yep. Yeah, I know, and yeah, we have, we have, I mean, we our theme here is talking about these foundational, like these starts of these names that are household yeah. names now. We talked about Flair, we talked about Slaughter, Dusty Rhodes, really picking up some steam, Greg the Hammer, Valentine, Bob Backlund, Hulk Hogan, Piper, all these guys we've mentioned. But yeah, I mean, you just talk about like all-time greats, all kind of hitting their stride right around yeah. the same time.
1: What will be fun for, the, for 1982 is for us to spend some time on world-class because
0: it's so great. Yeah.
1: From 82, basically 82 to 86 world-class was literally world-class like they, that was the, one of the territories. And one of the most important factors was the fact that it was literally by satellite. It could be viewed all over the country. Right and, and so they foreshadowing some yeah. things to come so that's right well this was fun i i enjoyed our, fun. Yeah. our trip down 81 so i can't wait for 82. wow this is, this is
0: beautiful because yeah, as we're proving you can just spend whole times on years it's like there's so much so much data to be mined so much good stuff for us to talk about and we will yeah. continue to bring this to you uh as only we can and um yeah, it's been a pleasure. And um, Pleasure. We will pick this back up next time, wrestling
1: fans. 1982 on the way. That's right.